0: Welcome, everybody. Hello, for thank you for joining us. Another episode of the Data Engineering Show. Today, uh, sitting next to me is nobody, Eldad, my co host and brother, disappointed me. He couldn't make it today, and he trusted me with Ananth here with us. So, help me welcome Ananth <coughs> uh, Pakidurai, who is a principal software engineer at Zendesk used to work for four years prior at Slack, has a bunch of very interesting stories for us today from both. Anath is also somewhat of a a veteran in the industry, has been in software for a long time, has moved to data for many years. I'd love to talk about that as well. Uh, But Anath is also sort of a mini-celebrity in the data space. Uh, He runs the Data uh, Engineering Weekly um, uh, newsletter. And so tell tell us about that. How many subscribers do you have today?
1: Oh, great. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's really <laughs> amazing to talk about data all the time. Thank you for joining. Um yeah, I think the I think we are we just crossed over um 7000 or that like I think we are around that mark
0: nice uh, you know if you're not registered to ananth newsletter the data engineering weekly you, sh- you you have to if you're in data you have to it's a, a must read uh, i follow it uh everything you need to know is in there so 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 look it up uh, how, i mean is you, you by yourself you have a lot of people involved there how does it work oh
1: uh, yeah thank you so much for the kind words first of all um, no it's all by my own um i mean i started um, the background of the story, like why I started, like I think towards end of my time at Slack, I started working in our observability monitoring infrastructure, essentially applying data principles into a monitoring stack. Um, so I started to kind of feel missing out, and there's a pretty good data engineering weekly newsletter before that, and it got stopped, and uh, that was my first go to source of information before. Uh, everything like you know that's that's how my morning starts and i'm like you know i have i had a special alert for to read that newsletter
0: <laughs>
1: and i'm like you know so i sort of feel that i'm gonna miss out something so i started like okay i'm going to read something and i just started writing so it's out of my own um learning purpose and i still consider this is a good way to learn i think i would encourage everyone to write uh most what they learn uh and and that's how you you know you Structurally learning by yourself. So it's really, really amazing. So, mm-hmm. so anyone listening, please start your own data engineering newsletter,
0: be honest. But I'm sure it's been getting tougher and tougher because there's much more content to create uh, from out there. I think uh, you need to, it's time, and if you find help with that newsletter, it's too much on your shoulders.
1: Yeah, that is true. Like, I mean, last week I was kind of curating, I had at least 18 articles to kind of curate, and like, you know, just Shortlisted, and I no, I don't have time to write all those things, and I have to you know, shortlisted ten items or nine items to do that. Um, and I, if anyone, viewing the, we already have a data engineering weekly GitHub link that you know anyone reads some article they like it, uh, you can you can create a pull request, and then we can add that as part of the uh, newsletter in this case. So there is also a way for more community contribution to the data engineering newsletter now.
0: Awesome. So, let's maybe start, you know, I'd love to hear about, you know, your personal career. You started from software and over time, by me looking at your, you know, history, it seems that data crept in slowly, slowly until initially you could say it took over. So walk us through that. So when did data become uh, such an important part of your uh, career? What was the tipping point?
1: Yeah, I think... (laughs) I started my career as back in engineering, mostly on you know writing code on Java and other stuff like that. And whenever like, it's funny that when I was starting a career, I always like looked down, like you know, because data warehouse is not that much kind of well adopted, and it's like you know, in, in most of the organizations, it's like very less visibility on those things, and it's often viewed as you will be using some tools, maybe a SSIS package or any other tools, so like you know. I will never do that, and I'll never, I'll, I'll never go to the So I didn't spend out my time, but that was my uh, thought beginning uh, the career. I think uh, I would say, like, I got carried away, and pulled into this whole big data wave or the buzzwords kind of things. That's so I started looking, uh, developing systems in Hadoop. When um, as part of an experimentation uh, in one of my work, I uh, started like looking at like Hadoop zero point two at the time or something like that it's kind of very early stage and that's the first time i'm actually reading a lot about MapReduce algorithm when i kind of realize that you know most of the problem can be solved in a if you start a thing in a mapReduce uh, pattern uh, in most of the analytic problems so i think that's kind of a very pulling point and um, and i i'm at that point still um the work is more of a backend engineering because you still have to write it bunch of Java code in order to kind of build any kind of analytical ecosystem at the time. I think I just jumped onto the bandwagon of that hype and then slowly travel and realized, okay, this is what we are going back. We are just kind of reinventing the wheel. And then I actually went back and learned about the data warehouse concept and I took um, a course from um, Kimball Group. Um, I think that was the last, last training program he took. Uh, before retirement, so it's very fascinating to learn. So I just kind of then I kind of go back and then learn the basics, and then we just continue on those cases.
0: Yeah, I think you know it's interesting. You mentioned that you know SSIS part, and you know if if we if we are to be completely honest, and you know I think in the past software engineers used to to some extent even look down at. At, you know, data technologies, it's a different position. And, you know, it's not for us, you know, you deal with your data warehouse, whereas now it has become such a big deal. Uh, and most of our engineers are actually looking to be more involved with data technologies. It has become, I think, one of the most interesting parts of of, the, of software engineering in general. Um, so so yeah, thanks thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, so talk about uh, with us a little bit. Uh, let's start with with uh, Zendesk. You've been there for a year and a half. What uh, sort of what did you come to do there? Or what do you do with Zendesk?
1: Yeah, Zendesk is a very interesting company right now. I, mean, I think as a leader of customer experience uh, platform, uh, most of the you know, support platforms essentially. Um, what I'm probably doing right now, I'm involving in our customer facing analytical platform, which is, um, you know, Zendesk as a company grown by acquiring more companies, right? There's like a desperate systems involved but what our clients see or want to see is uh, you know in um, um a unified view of how the customer interacting with their sales and then like as a uh, as a support secret system they also not only they wanted to view what is their experience with their customer uh, experience they also wanted to see more deeper level you know I want have this my product catalog is there I wanted to send to them and you know, tell me which product is doing good or not. You know, they want more uh, than a simple uh, support ticket analytics in this case. So my primary goal, I started in Zendesk to kind of focus on building a data platform and analytical solution for to address that particular problem in this case. And uh, and as with any data infrastructure, you know, when you start to involve to solve the last mile problem, you realize the problem is actually actually exists in the head of the problem. Like you know, how do we make sure that we instrument data properly Uh, how do we kind of uh, enable you know scalable analytics systems on top of it so right now i'm kind of playing a kind of a bridge role to make sure that we are gathering um sufficient data in a very you know uh, kind of more of a domain ownership around it and then building scalable solutions
0: i you know zendesk has been around for for many years i myself have been a client of then the zendesk for years um, so, for a company that's been around for years, I wonder how does the data stack look like? How much is legacy versus modernized? How do you go about modernizing uh, a stack, and how how has it evolved throughout the years?
1: Yeah, to my surprise, I would say that Zendes don't have like a, like it has some kind of a legacy. Like we have a system on um, we have an analytical system on MongoDB and React that actually still so you know, that there's, there's some system there, uh, but And surprisingly most of the part, um, it's pretty much um, pretty much up to date technologies. Like I think we have some system system using Google BigQuery. All of our enterprise analytics is running on Google BigQuery and then cloud storage in this case. And uh, we recently started to adopt Apache Hudi, which is kind of building this uh, you know like on those cases.
0: Are you guys running multi cloud or is everything on GCP?
1: Yeah, so our enterprise analytics is actually running on Google Cloud, whereas our product analytics running on our own and AWS. Uh, also various, uh, you know, um, different companies, at some point of the time. Um, so, yeah, we have, yeah, that we could call it as a legacy. Like, you know, we have two different, uh, you know, cloud services, for sure.
0: They walk us of some of the more challenging use cases, such workloads that are currently uh, in place that you're uh, involved with? How far along is is that new project you described?
1: Uh, for the unifying the system? Yes. Of it. Um we're just barely scratching the surface. I think the way I'm looking at this problem, not necessarily from unify the cloud services perspective, but How do we do data sharing between these two different disparate services? I think think our challenge or compliance from all stakeholders is not necessarily like we are running two different cloud services because two systems are are like atomic in nature and then they're just doing a fine job. Uh, I think the problem uh, is that, okay, if I do the data sharing uh, from AWS to Google Cloud, is there any context that we are missing? Is there any lineage that we are missing? You know how do the consumer on the other side uh, trust whatever you are sending here right because the business logic exists in one part and you just you know send the derived data set to another cloud and and the context is missing in the middle uh, mm-hmm. in some cases. so um so we kind of uh, kickstarted this whole data lineage data catalog uh, project to kind of you know trying to first build a full bridge like you know see the Establishing in the full context of it and try to give more and more understanding to the consumer side of it to figure it out. Um, and I hope at some point of a time we will be able to merge this uh, merge, uh, cloud services, but that's like a large project to undertake.
0: Yeah, that was my next question. Well, the next question, has consolidating into one cloud been on the table at all?
1: Um, no, not not now, at least because I mean it. it works. Whatever it works, it works. I mean, uh, you know. But I think ad- adding additional contacts right now will give us much more visibility to what is going on. Also.
0: How much? Uh, tell us uh, how are the data related teams structured? At Zendesk, what kind of teams are there? How big they are? Uh, how are the responsibility split?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think this is a common pattern. I started to see in even in Slack and then Zendesk. It's like we have this product analytics team that focusing on instrumenting data from uh, our product usages, collecting the data, and then building those. You know, mostly they you end up using kind of a lakehouse architecture. Uh, and there's like whole bunch of uh, you know uh, business uh, business like business of kind of you no know, business operational analytics kind of thing. Our uh, sales analytics and marketing analytics, and these analytics team have a self-contained. Data engineers and data platform inside to kind of support the business operation in the aspect of it. Uh, and and uh, the other teams kind of focusing most of the cases in the SaaS applications are you have to deliver some kind of a customer-facing analytics on top of it. So that requires more and more, um, um, more and more coding kind of things than the SQL kind of workload. So we have they have a separate team. So the other data team is also kind of organized in this kind of three different business orientation aspect of it.
0: What uh, data volumes uh, are you guys dealing with? I don't have top of a mind, but I
1: think we all log everything all the time. So I don't, um, I don't have like a very finite number because it's not like a one stream of data that we are consuming.
0: Let's take like customer facing stuff, for example. How, how is that managed from, you know, who is the, is it, are these dev teams at the end with customized ui running the show applying it into apis to run queries or is it more of an embedded analytics solution what's going on there on the customer facing workloads
1: the way we look at customer facing analytics is more of an in you know, an application Right, it's kind of a product by your own and uh, you know we have a product manager. So you have finite sla like all sort of sr will be applied there um and um, we source information from our upstream customers and then, like, we kind of up- build those data pipeline over the period of the time. So, largely, uh, yeah, that's a good question. L- largely, the customer facing analytics encompass of more of a backend engineering rather than like a pure data engineering perspective. Uh, and it's like, you know, I mean, I'm just slowly introducing to them to all of the data pipelining concept, but they put on a very backend engineering focus
0: in this case. And what's the query engine behind the scenes?
1: Um, So it's interesting. Like we right now have two query engines, like two databases. Like we are running Redshift and then Postgres uh, for some historical reason that we kind of keeping uh, running on those cases. Um, There's a large project is going on right now to kind of unify the data store, uh, both in real time and batch infrastructure, to make it more customer facing analytics. So we are looking at that particular solution.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think trying to combine historical and real time is something humans cannot stop trying. The question is, uh, what's the solution? <laughs> any any selected approach already?
1: I mean, we're looking at various solutions right now. Like I mean, like there are potential content, like in you know, Android or ClickHouse or HP Note is one of the exciting one.
0: Which one is the last one?
1: HP Note. P Note. Yeah. Start again. It's kind of a very exciting one. Um, It's a question of like right now, what we are doing in the real time side of it. We do join on the stream side a lot. So I'm kind of going, kind of debating back and forth like, you know, join in the stream versus join in the database. I have more like, you know, join in database kind of an eye because that is what the database supposed to do that uh you can always do optimization on the stream like why do you want it to re in on the wheel on your on your on the stream processing like enrichment yes but do you need to build a full-flown join system dynamically do so those are the interesting uh, concept that we're kind of exploring right now and in the unify our system hopefully you'll something.
0: i uh you know you mentioned you're looking at, at the Apache note as well I, I ran into a a piece you wrote from your Slack days about uh, Pino you adopted that over there as well, I think. Was it uh, um, over Druid or something? Tell us about that project back then.
1: Yeah, Druid versus Pino, Um, Yeah, this is like, I mean, some, some, like, some of the things might have been no longer relevant because every system always improves at any time, any point of a time. Um, so my experience with that, like one of the major Step back like I think, I think most of the real-time system coming out of the use case were doing an ad serving engine right or having an uh origin is kind of a ad serving capabilities it came out of I know I think matter most I, I think they're kind of an ad engine solution right so and clickhouse to an extent the same thing um the nature of the system is mostly like immutable in nature. Like you know, the events are always immutable in nature. So there is no upset operation that you wanted to do. So you just stream the event and you're just continuously running some time series query over the period of a time. Uh, I think that kind of solutions kind of well work really well. But in companies like Zendesk, companies like Slack, where the SaaS application fundamentally trying to solve the workflow over the period of the time, right? So Tickets been created, tickets been deleted, and ticket can go through its own life cycle. And we're trying to capture an object, and we're trying to produce an insight for an object life cycle. So we wanted to produce the current state of the object, and then we also wanted to kind of do a historical view how the data transformation will on. So when we wanted to preserve the current state of an object, that's why the upset operation became absolutely crucial. Uh, and in, in Pinot, Pinot does support upset operation and works reasonably well, but it's still kind of an afterthought, uh, you know, because um, Pinot added upset operation to solve the use case for Uber Eats, which is a similar business process, uh, you know, engine and similar design. kind of. So I think maybe that is where the disjoint, why we are not able to kind of bridge that real time and batch, essentially, uh, building some system. Uh, in real time, from the from the ground to up, that support um, immutability and immutability. I think that could be one reason. I don't know.
0: Yeah, this is uh, a a tough nut to crack. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. Uh, you, you joined Slack back in two thousand sixteen, and you were there for you know, four year ish. Oh, how different was the data stack at, at Slack? when you joined versus when you left? Because I know you you pretty much helped build it uh, from the ground up.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least at the point when I left, it's predominantly remained the same. Uh, I think one good thing in, in in this thing, or I don't know if it's a good thing or a uh, bad thing, is like, um, we kind of, like, you know, the early people who started involving in, in the Slack data infrastructure came from have very good previous experience building data infrastructure at scale. And from the get-to-go, we kind of choose some tools that is kind of having support. So, like you know, we choose Kafka, Presto, and uh, storing everything in the pocket format. Uh, we try to use Afro to kind of, you know, like programmatically author our system, and uh, uh, and so on. So, like, you know, how do we do modeling and then using um, uh, using structured logging, we use script for logging, not like so. this. So these things are we got it right, uh, I think. Uh, so we spend less time on, you know, detecting whether this is an integer or a string. Uh, so that kind of a problem, I see more and more companies trying to do that. So <clears throat> anyone approaching me asking like, how do I build the data platform? I will say first thing like, please don't use JSON as your <laughs> as your data, <laughs> uh, you know, um, data format in this case. So, so these are the things we got it re- really well, you know, programmatically author uh, data pipeline structure even logging.
0: Uh, and stuff like that. Please don't use JSON, though. It's an interesting comment because, you know, all the new data pl- platforms essentially are encouraging people to use JSON. Everybody's releasing JSON-first features, JSON capabilities. Uh, so so you're saying stay away from that. Be wary.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe this, they kind of started some kind of a schema registry to solve this problem. Uh, that could be one reason. But again, I mean... The compilers are good at type checking, and you know why do you want to type check after the fact? You know when you are doing a compilation itself, it's better to do that. You can reduce a lot of errors in the downstream. In this case, mm-hmm. I think most of the Slack challenge at the point of the time is scalability because the rate at the company grown. Every assumption that we make in every three months, we just you know invalidate at some point of time in every three months. So we have to constantly reinvent, you uh, know, our Trying to scale our system uh, to kind of cope up with the amount of volume that we are getting. And when I started um, Slack, we are ingesting maybe 10k events per second. That's what like you know, Kafka cluster looks like. And then like I mean, rapidly like nine months down the line, we were just ingesting like kind of three million to four million events per second. So the scale, and we barely kind of uh, you know loading, we're barely supporting only one type of use case, like on the business side of it. right, And then we wanted to kind of operational side of it and all, all the other aspect of it. So, so the scalability is, is a bigger challenge. In this
0: case. So maybe, you know, it sounds like, you know, if there ever was a scalability challenge, it's this one, that's Slack. I'm sure not everything went smooth. This is the, a good part for our beloved uh, Epic Failure Corner. You know, we, we grow and learn from things that didn't work. Uh, any memories to share things that uh, a good lesson learned?
1: Yeah, I think many things. Uh, I know, especially like I don't know how listen learn. Like I think I think the airflow page we had one time for like um, it's stopped us running any core for eight day eight days. Sorry, sorry eight eight hours. And uh, a lot of small accidental problems that you don't like. I, I think this is a very interesting one. So how. So Airflow at the time had, or I don't know whether it's even now it's a true, the scheduler having a problem uh, that it is not able to uh, schedule the rate that we kind of spinning off. Uh, so what we have done that is we introduced a cron job um, that keep every one hour background, just restart the scheduler. Just in case scheduler kind of exhausted, we just restart one hour. But what we didn't realize that that Chrome job had a bug instead of, instead of waking up at you know top of the hour and then just restart one time, it is restarting for one minute continuously like you know, that's <laughs> And we didn't, we didn't realize it. it was just working fine because it's a very minimal end. And one day we started migrating Airflow from one version to another version and we didn't realize this bug. And when the middle of when when you are iterating that and we are continuously monitoring whether the upgrade is successful or not, we keep seeing this weird behavior, and we were like so confused. You know what is happening? Like you know, just read you know, read through all the source code, read through all our deployment scripts. Like you know, that, nothing is happening. What is really happening? That took us like one day to figure it out. Oh my God, there is a cron,
0: <laughs>
1: and we almost forgot that we put that
0: cron The last suspect. <laughs> Nobody even bothered to think about. Yeah, there's yeah. one. Thanks for sharing.
1: <laughs> the good news is that now I'm able to read all the Airflow for code in like just one hour because we had to read it and understand. <laughs> <That's good>. So, <laughs> so yeah.
0: let me ask you this. If you know if you go back in time, we put you back in 2016 at Slack starting from scratch, knowing what you know now. What do you have done differently?
1: I think one thing we would have done differently or towards <clears throat> the end of my time at Slack, like I think people started to do that. Is like leaning more towards cloud data warehouse maybe 2016 <coughs> cloud data warehouse might not be like much uh, you know much more mature or much more uh, sufficient to handle our scale i think at this point of a time um, i feel like you know systems like firebolt snowflake or something like that like, could be could have been a first choice uh, to do that and then more using uh, the tools rather than trying to build everything ourselves that would really kind of give us much more uh, velocity in the way we wanted to handle that thing. I think uh, because we had to manage all our EMR cluster, because we had to manage all our cluster cluster and afro cluster, it took a lot of toll for us to kind of support uh, the growth that our company kind of went through, and that reduced the you know trust level of the velocity. You know, more and more people are opting
0: to our ecosystem. yeah what in recent years you know which technologies or tools or both did you put your hands on in recent years or ones that excited you that you're excited about
1: in recent years i think i'm excited about a lot of um, lot of development going on the data lineage and data catalog side of it i think this is something that we have not thought through when we started our data uh, you know data uh, Team at that point of the time, and most of the companies, the data catalog and data lineage were always an afterthought. I'm I'm so excited to see so much uh, literature, so much you know talk about uh, data lineage, data you know data kind of data discovery systems, and then data quality aspect of that. So I think that's one of the things that I'm very excited about. I think actually I think adopting that we finally acknowledged we came long way from Hadoop world to be kind of a heavy hacky backend engineering to acknowledge this is a data system this is a data management system and these properties of the data management system and I think we're not to the full cycle.
0: Which tools have you been looking at so far at Zendesk with uh, lineage cataloging and quality?
1: Um, there are pretty good uh, tooling available right now. They're like I think that's a good thing like a lot of uh, you know a lot of um, opt Lot of options are available for the consumers now. I think Data Hop is from LinkedIn is one of the good examples to do that. Amundsen is another great uh, for that. Uh, I think Atlan is another interesting tool to do that. I think what I'm really looking at are is like how this tool essentially embedded into our workflow of our analysis and the data engineers integrated into their workflow rather than. Introducing a data catalog tool and then just do a checklist. And we have a data discovery and then check mark is done and then nothing, whatever that. So we have we um I'm sure you're aware of Apache Atlas, which is an open source data line story. We developed like long back, 2012 or something like that. We do have an Apache Atlas uh, from 2017 in Zendesk, except that no one used it. Or uh, half of them don't even aware of it. <laughs> right. So and and, and the, the thing is that the, the pattern that I noticed why people weren't able to use it is it's incredibly hard, first of all, to do that. So the analysis, I observe the behaviors and like kind of one interesting thing is like an analysis come and say, like, you know, hey, how what does this table look like? You know, I wanted to get an insight. Tell me what are the tables that I should query about that. And uh, someone trying to point, oh, this is a lineage tool that you should use. That, and it's a separate effort. You know, they have to go to a diff- different UI. They have to understand the UI, and then just trying to query that it can have an information, don't have an information, and then they not if they're not able to find that information, they immediately go and ask like, you know, who is the senior of that team, and they'll go and say like, you know, hey to ask the same question, right? You know, you will be using your analysis as a data discovery system again and ask it. And there is a high chance that person has the knowledge about it because out of an experience and they answer the question. When the next time the similar problem comes in, the analysis will not go and look at the data discovery system. They directly go because their workflow is now changed because this particular tool is not trying to solve this problem. So, I mean... I look at this like kind of a workflows problem rather than lineage problem. So any tool sufficiently solve that problem would be really, really hard.
0: What do you recommend? You know, if 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 I'm in software, but I haven't been involved with data much and I want to start. What, will, what what's a good route for a software engineer to to get his his hands dirty in, in the data world? How do you approach such an educational program?
1: Yeah. So my take on that is. I mean, SQL by default is is the language of data, right? I mean, the first thing in terms of the skill set, I would like to I would like to say, like you know, pick up SQL uh, is is a first class you know um, citizen for you as as a, as a tool for you to kind of start navigating the uh, data across. And if you are a software engineer, I think one of the good things they can do is. Taking a look at inward rather than outward. You know, many people started taking, wanted to get into data engineering and looking at, like you know, I'm going to solve a business problem or predicting, you know, sales analytics or marketing analytics. If you are a software engineer, there is most likely you will be working with some kind of a system. You know, some kind of a software. Some kind of a software you will be deploying to a production system, so that production system will emit some kind of a logs. You know, I think the very first step is that take that log and apply the SQL and try to understand your system from a different perspective. We do have the we do have the observability tooling right like, you now, uh, metrics and, and logs, and you do search and try to find the needle in the haystack. But if you try to take that logs and try to understand the long-term perspective, it's particularly helpful, A, because you already know the domain, you already know the system. So you have a very good intuitive scale that you can start to work around and improve your skill. And then once you understood that, the techniques and the domain is transferable. right? Domain is more of acquiring knowledge, the tools and your way of thinking to figure it out, the pattern is going to remain the same. I think that would be my suggestion, you know, start with a tool, pick SQL, and then look inward in your own domain, try to figure it out.
0: It's beautiful. So so a log-driven approach. If you master the logs, you know everything about, you know, your platform. Okay, great. I, I mean, uh, it's been amazing. Uh, so many great insights. Uh, thank you f- so much for for joining us. And uh, again, uh, keep doing what you do uh, with the newsletter. We love it. And uh, yeah, stay safe in the with the virus and all. Yeah, thank you so much. You me too. So we've launched just a few months ago. Uh, we're growing quite nicely, right? Yes. How many views do we have? Very happy. I think we've got like we're in the thousands, right? Happy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Not bad, but we want more. more. If you like this, yes. help us spread the love. Yes. If you don't like dad, spread, you know, vote for replacing today. me for someone else. Uh, That's fine. And, you know, we promise to try our best to keep bringing you, bring you amazing, the boss. data people from the most interesting data companies. So subscribe, make our mama proud. Yes. Help us out. Love you, mom.